0: It's that kind of thing that we need to incentivize. So if you've got a lot of people searching in a specific way, make it easy. If you've got people searching for Mother's Day at this particular point of the year, make it easy. Don't make it difficult. Because if you do, just going to go somewhere else.
1: Hi, I'm Chloe from Zenbox, and I'm on a mission to get brands talking about how post-purchase operations affect the customer experience. And importantly, How to deliver on promises that mean you create loyalty that drives repeat purchases. Hi, I'm Chloe from Zenbox and I'm on a mission to get brands talking about how post-purchase operations affect the customer experience. And importantly, how to deliver on promises that mean you create loyalty that drives repeat purchases. Welcome to After the Buy Button, the show that focuses on post-purchase operations to help you improve your customer experience. I'm excited to welcome today's guest, Luke Carthy. Welcome, Luke. It's good to have you on the show.
0: Cheers, Chloe. Thanks for having me.
1: Um, So you're an e-commerce growth consultant, and when people hear your name, they think SEO. But what I want to talk to you about is the customer experience, retention, loyalty side of that After the Buy Button, because growth is about more than just getting traffic into the site as I'm sure you'll agree. Uh, so can you explain a bit about what you do and what kind of problems uh, your clients put in front of you every day?
0: Yeah sure, so really good question, really good question. So um, where I kind of get stuck in is um, anything between startups, so we've kind of got everything, we've got uh, everything in the line and we kind of just need to expand, we need to get to a point where we understand where our friction areas are, why our customers aren't buying, all the way through to the opposite end, which is kind of like, we're actually selling a heck of a lot of products. We want to do better or we'll be more efficient. We want to step into a new age of transformation. Or even it can be as, as, uh, as simple as help us build a team. Like we don't know what we need. We just know the goal we want to get to. Can you help us to deliver that? But yeah, every client is completely different. And a lot of the times, which is really interesting, is the fact that the, the, the problem that is sold to me at the door is often not the problem that we end up resolving. It's like a piece of the puzzle rather than a comprehensive problem, which is always interesting to find out.
1: That's great. And I'm sure that's the the sign of a good consultant is actually finding, you know, what they tell you might not actually be the right right problem. But um, with that, and then clients kind of coming to you, you must have a huge array of different problems that you're faced with. But are there any big myths or misconceptions that people come to you or that they think about SEO in general? that you then have to <laughs> are challenged with, with um, providing the, the right uh, story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first one, which is an unfortunate one, really, but it's the reality of how things are, is, is people have previously been burnt with SEO. So right. it may have been you know, a bad relationship with an agency or it could have been misaligned expectations or whatever that rationale is. Um, I think a lot of times it's kind of like, you know what, we've done SEO before, we didn't do so well, so let's, let's not look at it. And the same can be true of any kind of acquisition channels, whether it's email, whether it's paid. But as I'm, I'm pretty close to the world of SEO, then that's the one that typically I see most often. And yeah, I think the other kind of myth which, which, which follows that is more traffic equals more sales. You know? So if you're selling at 2% conversion rate, which is actually pretty damn good in the world of e-commerce, <laughs> and you turn up your traffic by 100%, people would expect the conversion rate to stay at 2%. And it's it's not always that that clear. If it was, we'd all be millionaires by now, right? But um, it's never really that straightforward.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Like you said, you can't view a statistic or some form of data as reflecting on on the whole journey. Like you said, expecting it to stay the same just putting more more traffic in.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: So, can you explain how how? optimization and seo meets e-commerce operations from that point of view where the, where the practical challenges live there particularly kind of post-purchase
0: yeah 100 percent. so i think a lot of the issue post-purchase or a lot of the issue kind of like okay so you have a problem and you can't get it over the line you can't get people to pay attention and those people could be stakeholders it could be the board it could be whoever one of the biggest issues that I see time and time again is not positioning the problem or not positioning the solution properly, um, and as a result, people just like the yeah, they care. So it could be, for example, you know, if you're thinking about improving your conversion rate or improving the number of customers that come through, you might sell that as an SEO package. So let's improve our rankings. Let's improve our number of keywords. Typically, and it's a big sweeping statement but typically a lot of stakeholders and senior decision makers don't care about organic traffic they generally don't care about rankings and organic traffic all they care about is how much money you can make and how much cost how many costs you can save and if you speak their same language and you remove all the technical jargon and and stuff like that it's a lot easier it's a lot purer of conversation so i would say the the biggest thing is is absolutely making it so whatever solution you find or whatever problem you find, you speak the same language to the people who need to say yes. But I think this is crucial of SEO agencies is they come in and they're like, right, we found 15 technical issues. Here they are. And then the the board is like, well, okay, what does that mean? Like, I don't care. How is that going to make a difference to our bottom line, Mm -hmm. etc." And it's that gap that is constantly seen in the world of SEO, specifically in the
1: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's more evident. It's almost like a lot of SEO kind of agencies will go away and find some issues that need to be solved in other areas of the business. And so actually, you're right. you yeah, having that. It's almost a translation, <laughs> a translation of yeah. the problem into into what's going to be understood. So things like maybe delivery or something like that, that might be part of the team operationally would have to deal with and kind of meet different delivery options at the checkout for example that might be something that an SEO team might identify as a good avenue to investigate and to go down but then that's got to be translated into into operations and into you know a a big buy-in really from the kind of management side
0: yeah yeah absolutely that that also makes a lot of sense
1: yeah so have you got any kind of examples of of where that might have happened?
0: God, um, where do I start? So, I think one for certain is um, is kind of product based enhancement. So, you know, you mentioned, and I know there's a specific case on after the purchase, right? So, we're all obsessed as marketers with kind of getting that sale in, and um, kind of neglecting tension and lifetime value and that sort of stuff. So, one of the biggest challenges is if you, you know, the perfect one is if you don't have guest checkout enabled how do you encourage the business to really kind of get behind and enable guest checkout? Because that helps everywhere. It helps first time customers, it helps with repeat purchasers who just can't be bothered to create an account, especially if your account registration process is quite laborious. So yeah, I think that's one of the key problems and is kind of like where you've got multifaceted disciplines. So guest checkout involves development, it involves not necessarily SEO teams, but you've got to get, Product teams, you've got to get marketing aligned, you've the messaging, there's email comes to say that you can prove There's a lot of things going on. So you kind of have to position that in a way that it sounds really attractive to the board. If you've got the board and your key decision makers on, on point, that's kind of the previous point I've made, it makes it so much easier. Because there's no point winning over the marketing team and then the board of directors is like, no. There's no point <laughs> winning over the development team and then the, the marketing team are like, no, because it's just not going to work. So if you have buying from the, um, the most senior part of the business you can get to, then that just unlocks doors It makes things a heck of a lot easier. And the way in which I like to do that is to use case studies, And that could be in the way of saying, look, ASOS did that. So the perfect example, actually, ASOS a number of years ago removed the mention of registration in their checkout flow. And as a result, they reduced their abandonment rate by half. Wow. So it's quite a dramatic change. I'd love to kind of know how they got that over the line, but I guess for this purpose it's not really important, but it's kind of like, what well, if ASOS can do that, then maybe we can get similar numbers. Mm-hmm. And then maybe even echoing and demonstrating the pain of your customers by, you know, going to like Argos, for example. So Argos is a notorious company for not offering guest checkout. And it winds me up as a consumer, and it winds me up as a technologist, because, you know, Argos is purely... A lot of it, I mean, a lot of what our sell, sells, sure, you know, it's expensive, it's, it costs a lot of money, but equally, you can just go in there and want to buy a and toaster. Like, you've just moved house, you want to buy a cheap wardrobe, a bed a for your know, kid, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, you shouldn't have to go through a laborious registration process to do that. You really shouldn't. So, you know, by kind of explaining the problem and showing case studies and showing, look, this is how it works, um, it almost becomes a no-brainer. So you have then got the board kind of thinking, "Well, we need to do this. How do we do this? Like, make it happen. What do you need me to do?" And once you've got that mindset, switch it's a heck of a lot easier to get people on board and get them to pay attention about you know to what it is you want to change.
1: Absolutely. So if you know companies are considering guest checkout or they've already implemented it, but then like you said, there is this question around. Well, how do we keep that retention and that loyalty if we do offer? Guest checkout. There must be lots of kind of ways. The, uh, the next steps. What would be your advice, and how would you approach that situation?
0: Yeah. So I think to keep momentum going after you've got the initial, you know, piece of functionality rolled out, one is analytics. Like just because you've launched it, don't forget about it, um, mm-hmm. because it's important to showcase that that something is still working. But I think also employ your other channels. So if you've got guest checkout enabled, then that kind of alleviates a number of pressures elsewhere. Maybe. You could potentially look at flexing your minimum order value because it's easier for people to now purchase and maybe they don't need such a large basket if commercially it makes sense Um, or even use your email marketing as an opportunity to kind of communicate the fact that you've now got guest checkout on and equally kind of incentivize with offers and promotions and whatever else that's going on but even you know even more than that you could potentially be in a situation where you shift your because you've removed that friction at the checkout could you now explore other opportunities to sell that, I'm not gonna say desirable, that's the wrong word, but almost impulse purchase products. Right. So before you might, you know, going back to that example of a and toaster from Argos. it would be great to have a look at some data to understand how many people abandon when they have a basket value of less than X when you don't have a guest checkout, and then being able to turn guest checkout on, look at the difference, and then prove that that's the situation. That's then an opportunity to get existing customers who maybe have spent three, 400 pounds to come back and spend maybe 150 to 200 pounds this time or buy again. But I think there's loads of avenues. I think it's it's a really good excuse to communicate to customers that you've made improvements, but additionally, mm-hmm. those improvements may also make it easier for customers to buy what it is that they, they want to buy easier. So we win.
1: Absolutely. So, and again, kind of the really important point is, like you said, don't just switch it on and walk away, <laughs> you know, constantly yeah. monitoring the results and, and what, avenues that opens up to you because I mean like you said there's there's a lot of them so is there any kind of um hard and fast rules for you you know when it when it comes to retention and and that sort of area is there one or two things that you would say absolutely people must be doing apart from the obvious of of looking at the data
0: yeah so I think it's, it's, it's really cliche, and really obvious, but remove key friction points, but I'll give you a few specific examples. So one that uh-huh. I'm really passionate about, and I must say in all the projects I look at, there's always opportunities here. One is site search. Stop making it so difficult for customers to find what they need to buy, especially your most loyal customers. You know, like. um, If you are a business where the items you sell are, say, replenishable, so if you sell food, drink, um, your seasonal. Uh, so, for example, right now, if we think about people like Moonpig, with Mother's Day coming up real soon, you know, these are companies that have anniversaries of occasions. Um, yeah. Don't make it difficult for people to order the same thing again this time next year. So don't change the experience so much that you end up alienating a customer that you had this time last year, especially, if say, Christmas is your pick.
1: Right.
0: You know, if somebody wants to reorder something, right, make it really easy for them. So to give you a really good <laughs> example of that, just eat I don't know how well this translates for anyone outside of the UK, but Just Eat's kind of like DoorDash or Uber Eats. And I'm guilty of it because I think we've, especially in like Just Eat's a big deal. Um, you fire <laughs> up the app, and the first question it asks you is, do you want to reorder the same thing again? And let's be honest, we're, we're creatures of habits, right? So we know what we like. Everyone does it. You go to an Indian takeaway or your favorite Greek restaurant or whatever it is, and you typically order. You pretend to look at the menu and order something you want, but let's be honest, you gonna order the same thing. <laughs> it's that kind of thing that we need to incentivize. So if you've got a lot of people searching in a specific way, make it easy. If you've got people searching for Mother's Day at this particular point of the year, make it easy. Don't make it difficult. Because if you do, you've just got to go somewhere else, you know?
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, site search is one. Allowing people to make a reorder really easily if that's what they want to do. And yeah, checkout flow. So guess checkout, of course, helps. But just mm-hmm. making your checkout as easy as possible, saving cards, allowing them to kind of reuse existing uh, checkout fields, all kinds of cool stuff. Just make it nice and easy.
1: Absolutely. I think a key point there as well, like you mentioned Justy and, and that sort of thing is, they just understand exactly what their customers there for. It's fast food. So if you're <laughs> anything you can do to make it faster, like you said, you know, reducing friction in any way, knowing, understanding what the, it is that they're actually trying to achieve and kind of having that macro view can help in those situations, too. So um, that's yeah, some really, really good tips there. Definitely, you know, focusing on that and making it as, as easy as possible. Sure. So my next question is about your tools, because as marketers, as, as business people, there's so many technologies these days. You know, what are your ride or dies? So probably Google Analytics might mention. What <laughs> But What, what is yeah. it that you can't, can't live without?
0: Yeah, do you know what? Yeah, <laughs> Google Analytics is definitely one. But what I will say is Google Analytics in its sort of kind of like set up and leave it, just set it up out of the box, isn't going to help. Many people, and it certainly isn't going to help me. So, okay. as good as Google Analytics is, if you're just going to install the script, turn on tracking and think it's a done deal, going to be you know, bad time <laughs> in, in most cases. But on top of that, Mouseflow, I absolutely love. And the reason why I love Mouseflow is it's ultimately a session replay and heat mapping tool, which there's loads of them, crazy air jar so on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But the reason why I love Mouseflow, one is its price point, it's a heck of a lot cheaper. It okay. kind of appreciates where it sits in the market. It knows that hot jars come like right up here. Mouseflow is more comprehensive for less money. And as a result, you get, you get more for your cash in that sense. But yeah, that's a really, really powerful tool. And it also does form analysis as well, which is really cool, especially at the checkout. I think on the back of that, I'm not going to give a specific tool, any particular, there's so many of them, but I think mm. anything that allows you to do really comprehensive surveys is hugely powerful. The reason why I say that is because we've spent a fair amount of time so far talking about attention and after the buy button, ultimately, Mm. um, (laughs) as per the fitting name of the the podcast. So (laughs) what I think works really, really well is understanding what makes your customers come back. Mm. Why is it you didn't go somewhere else? What made you come back to it? And being able to understand and have that data, you're then in a situation where you can act upon it or reinforce those reasons. So again, going back to Just Eat, I do it because it already has all my information and I haven't got to register for another account and it does, you know, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I also like Browser Stack.
1: Browser Stack, okay.
0: Now, Browser Stack is more of a development tool than it is a marketing tool. But okay. the reason why I love it is because it allows you to test pretty much every single device on the market for your website. So a lot of these tools are emulators. So they kind of emulate an iPhone or a, or a laptop or a. Chromebook or whatever. Mm-hmm. What browser stack does is it's real devices but over VPN. Okay. And the beauty of that is there's no emulation gaps. There's no kind of things that you'd miss as a of using emulation software. And it's really cheap. So I personally believe it's a UX tool, but right. it's also a web development tool. And the reason why I say it's a UX tool, let's say, for example, you know that your top five devices are an iPhone, and Android, and three different types of laptop. You can validate those five and make sure that the experience is clean, as crisp as you'd expect. But here's what makes it really interesting. Take a look at your worst devices. what are not get a lot of traffic but are converting poorly and see if there's any issues, gaps, problems that you may not have seen on your own computer that actually are there for other devices. And browsers, right? You all know about Internet Explorer and Microsoft Edge with an absolute pain in the ass, let's be honest. So they're my favorites for sure.
1: Great. Actually, there's some some really kind of different ones there. So hopefully that'll be, that'll be really useful. People can go and take a look and, and play around with these things. I mean, that's the beauty of it, isn't it? To just be able to see what you could access. And you've said like surveys and, and things like that. You And it, again, it comes back to, to knowing the customer. You can have a, a huge amount of data and not actually know how to interpret it, interpret it correctly unless you've got the customer's eyes on it you know or, or that kind yes. of view in your mind to actually understand what it where you need to be moving this data and what you're trying to achieve there so some really yeah, some really exactly. interesting points there and i think overall the the fact that normally i would kind of go, i would ask how long it might take for somebody to kind of look at these and these things that we've talked about obviously we've talked about quite a lot <laughs> of of different um Operations that you could you could go into, but I guess the point with SEO and you know optimizing, monitoring everything that's happening on your website is that it's it's a constant. You have to yes. keep you know continuing to to be there um, and to understand the changing needs of your customer, the technology. So I think um, that point about the the browser stack is is really interesting to a lot of people, and I guess a lot of people wouldn't have realised. I mean, that's news to me, but probably because I'm not, I'm not used to working in, in that environment. But that whole, you know, emulation versus an actual device, that's a really interesting, a really interesting point.
0: Yeah, and I think um, the whole device testing thing is often a siloed responsibility. So normally, you'd expect right. that to be taken care of. So in a smaller company, you'd expect that to be taken care of by web apps, um or your web development team or your product mm-hmm. team in a larger business that would typically fall into QA. So sort of, you know, in the assessment where you've got particular people in the business that poke things, prop things, try and break stuff, and then rectify them, ready for launch. So that's what those people are are enabled for. But there's a huge gap because, and it's it's no disrespect or, or kind of, you know, anything towards web development, but they're typically not very customer focused. So they'll be looking for problems purely from a technology stack, you know, errors, 404s, JavaScript runtime errors, all that sort of really important stuff, security gaps, all that sort of stuff. But they won't have much emphasis on customer issues. So, Mm -hmm. you know, sizes of things, are things falling off the page potentially? Is the search field behaving slightly, you know, away from what it should do? And yes, there's a very good opportunity that QA will pick that up, but it's much better to have someone with a customer bias and a... um, uh, a real centricity to what the customer needs and the expectation to have a look at browser testing rather than just leaving it to web dev. And I think as a consultant, I don't have any of those premeditations as to who's responsible. I just know I need to take a look and dig and find problems. So mm-hmm. that is the beauty of hiring someone external because that bureaucracy and politics and all that sort of, it's your responsibility, no, it's your responsibility, doesn't happen. Because I don't care. I just want to look at finding things regardless of who's responsible for it, you know, so...
1: Absolutely. And I guess that that allows you to retain that macro view of things. You're not bothered about the, I guess, internal politics of things. You just want to get it right.
0: That's right. Exactly.
1: Great. So, um, well, thank you. Thank you so much for talking to me. My, my last question is about influences and inspirations in terms of, of resources that you use, like potentially podcasts or events or books that you would that you would recommend to the listeners.
0: Yeah. So on the, on the side of podcasts, um, I think there's, a, there's one um, by Chloe Thomas, uh, which is all about e commerce, e commerce master plan podcast, which is, is brilliant. And the reason why I love that podcast is because it, it asks retailers. Like it's really kind of insightful in terms of looking at big retailers, big brands, and seeing how they do things. But equally speaking to consultants, independents, success stories, you know, all that sort of really good stuff. I think other resources outside of podcasts, I really, really adore a book by April Mm Dunford and it's called Obviously Awesome. Now, the book is all about positioning and making sure that whatever it is you're selling, whether it's a product or a service, is positioned in the best possible way to resonate with your customers. So not to to add a spoiler, but I think this really, really helps to kind of cement what I'm talking about here is, if if I said to you, cake on a stick, What do you think of? A pop pop cake. Okay, okay. Which, yeah, (laughs) you're actually perfectly right. That wasn't supposed to happen. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
1: not a very linear thinker, if that helps.
0: (laughs) It's brilliant. But, okay. But the thinking here is when someone, at least in my perspective, when someone thinks of a cake on a stick, I typically think of an actual slice of cake on a stick. And I just think that's not particularly attractive. Oh. <laughs> but the, what they did as a company or as an idea is they rebranded that to what you said, which is cake or, or oh, pops or cake lollipops, right? Okay,
1: right, yeah. And it's that
0: <laughs> mindset switch of thinking, hold on a minute, how am I supposed to eat an actual slice of cake on a stick versus actually a relatively quite a novel idea? And mm-hmm. it's that kind of thing that helps you to shift and understand you should position your products and if you haven't got your positioning right then nothing else makes sense you can do all the things we've spoken about in this podcast you can optimize you can look at data but if your positioning is off everything else is off but yes you're actually the first person i've spoken to who's got the cake pop thing do you know so maybe I'm, we've read the book. I'm
1: all i'm this kind of reminds me of like christmas quizzes and stuff i'm really not a very linear thinker so i i think that's probably why i immediately went there also have a big interest in cake um so yeah. <laughs> probably right. was more you know able to <laughs> to make that connection but that's great no i mean those that that book sounds great i mean obviously awesome just sounds like a brilliant title for exactly that what you're trying to you know the, the positioning of things it needs to be obvious doesn't it it does we're big fans of chloe here as well so <laughs> that's that's definitely Fantastic. one that that i would recommend too so thank you so much for for joining me today it's been lovely having you
0: no thanks again for having me on i've really enjoyed it thank you